I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 as we pick up our study in this book. Hello? <laughs> Just want to make sure it wasn't for me. Colossians chapter 2. I've entitled this chapter, The Warning Against False Teaching. Because uh, that seems to be the main uh, thrust of this particular chapter. And uh, the first thing that Paul does in this chapter is that he reminds us how to keep a church healthy. So that when air comes, people are aware of it, alert, and our, the church is strong, and the church is healthy. Uh, Paul served the church of Christ, not the denomination, but he served the church that Christ had bought. And he served it with his whole being. Paul, as you know, was a Pharisee. He was a very strict Pharisee, and when Stephen died, as a martyr, Paul was there and took care of the coats, consented to Stephen's death. On the way to Damascus, he was struck down and he was saved, and he was given the commission to go to the Gentiles. And as a result, Paul has been approved by the elders, had also studied under the person of Jesus himself, and when as a missionary and churches were sprung up as he taught the people. And the church at Colossae sprung up, probably out of the church at Ephesus, a very strong church, a healthy church. But interestingly enough, the church at Ephesus, by the time after Paul had been there 30 years later, John writes to this church and says, you've lost your first love, using Christ's letter. So it's possible for heresy, it's possible for deadness to come in, to a church. We might consider Countryside Church, uh, Bible Church, a very solid, doctrinal-oriented church. But this church will be challenged with heresy as well. And it will come. It's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when. And so what will it take for us as a body of believers to be strong, to be strengthened, to so that this does not affect the church as, as it could, as no matter, matter what, many Bible-believing churches, many true churches have split over heresies or has ruined them when it came in very subtly. It's not likely that a person would come up here and one Sunday just declare, I don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. That wouldn't go over very bad or very good and it wouldn't take long for people to stand up and say, away with you. But it comes in subtly. Comes in very subtly. Somebody gets an idea and uh, it's not a biblical idea. And so they come in and it suddenly comes in. It's sneaky. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, do not be deceived. Uh, they don't come in with a truth. They come in with a little lie. And the little lie spreads, and it eventually divides a congregation. 
So what Paul is warning the Colossians about it. You see, Epaphras had already been and was teaching at the church at Colossae. And he went to see Paul in Rome and, and tell him about the church. And evidently, he mentioned this legalistic heresy, this Gnostic heresy that came into the church. So that really riled Paul up, as it would somebody who really loves the church. Like you would love your children if somebody came in and started teaching your children something contrary to what you as a family believe. It would rouse you up, would it not? And that's the way Paul felt about the church at Colossae, and so he became riled up. Because when one really loves Christ, they love Christ's church, the true church, the true believers, and they want to protect it. You see, because the church was bought at a very great price. Salvation is free to me and you, but it is cost a great price. The most expensive price in all of the universe. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we read this. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. How expensive is that? I mean, that, what more could God do to pay for the church? What more could God do for you than give his life for you and me and forgive us our sins? What a price. Collectively for the whole church. The men and women who put their faith and trust in Christ and belong to his church. Ephesians 5.25, he says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. How far did Christ go? How far did Christ go to buy this congregation? Assuming we're all believers. How far did Christ go to make sure that you and I had our sins forgiven, we are righteous before God, and heaven is our home? Look at Philippians 1.7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the Gospels, you are all partakers of grace with me. For it's only right that you're in my heart. Paul loved the church. And even though he hadn't visited the church at Colossians, the Colossae, he loved it dearly. And we see in verse 1 a very heartfelt interest in this church. As we said, Epaphras had come and warned uh, Paul that there was a heresy going. And Paul wished for them to know how great a struggle I have for you. How much do I love the church even though I've never been there? Even though Paul had never met them personally, he was greatly concerned. 
as a pastor, I'm greatly concerned about this church. I love this church. And I don't want this church to ever deviate from the truth of the word of God. And so sometimes when we take a stand or you take a stand against it, people don't understand. They don't see the air that might be coming down the pike. And they don't see these things. And so Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 21, 28 or 29 of Colossians, he said this. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to the power which God mightily works within me. Now when Paul said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, the Greek word there is from a word which means agony. How much agony I have for the church because of our love. You probably felt that way about your children. If you have a teenager or you have a young person in your home that's starting to deviate and find interest in the world, you have agony over that, correct? That, that really puts a pressure on you. And you and your wife get together and say, we got to pray about this. We need wisdom how to steer our child back to loving the Lord like we do. That's the way he felt. The word agony we use in English, agona is the Greek word, but agony we use in English. The English definition of it is extreme physical or mental pain or suffering. I used to listen to a program that came on Saturdays when I had time, <clears throat> The Wide World of Sports. Remember that program? And they always had a line in there, the agony of defeat. And if you're really intense in a game or in a conflict and you're defeated, you really, it is really gut-wrenching. At least it is to me. And I used to feel that way about Nebraska football. I kind of got over that. <laughs> but I used to feel that way about Nebraska losing. It took me half a day to get, to get reoriented. Now I say, oh well. However, that kind of agony is what Paul felt about the church. Do you? Do you feel that way about the body of Christ? We've got a whole truth to the faith. I feel that. It hurts me deeply when I hear somebody who walks away from the faith. We had that happen to a family member uh, in, uh, not too long ago. My wife said, well, where are you going to the church, church these days? And the answer was, well, I've given up on the church. How sad. How sad. So this church was possibly why Paul, why Paul wanted the Colossians to share this letter with the church at Laodicea. Laodicea was only 10 miles away to the west. And so the churches had a link together. And so he said, I want you to share this letter with the church at Laodicea. Now Laodicea was a very wealthy city because it was known for the black carpets it made, black covers it made from the black sheep that pastured around the city. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. 
And uh, Jesus, in his letter to the church at Laodicea, the last of the seven letters, mentions the riches of this city. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 17. At Countryside, we believe Revelation is a very important book, and it should be read and should be studied. shouldn't be feared. Okay, Revelation 3, 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Ooh, what's the next line? I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now let me ask you, are you hot or cold? What is your, what is your relationship to Jesus Christ? Are you hot or are you cold? If you're lukewarm, that's not good either. God hates a lukewarm church. He wants us to love the Lord with all our might, with all our soul, and, and no substitutes. You can't serve two masters. You can't have your hand in the world and your hand in Christ. It's either or. He says, because you say, I am rich, verse 17, and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's what happens to lukewarm people. Oh, I'm a Christian, you know, and come see, come saw. God is not really the most important thing in my life. Christ is not. Oh, I wouldn't say that. It shows up in my actions shows up in my attitude. Now Paul had uh, written a previous letter to the Laodiceans. Go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4 verses 15 to 17. He says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nymphia who, and the church that is in her house. With this, when this letter is read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and you. For your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. In other words, Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea that we don't have. And he said to Equippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. For all those who have not personally seen my face. You've not been there. Now he talks about the church, the edification of the church in verse 2. Here's instruction to the church. First of all, he says, their hearts may be encouraged. I want to encourage the church at Colossae. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to, to be encouraged to move on. It's interesting how much encouragement we need. It is a word in the original language that can go all kinds of ways. It can be interpreted... Uh, in, from the wide meaning, from being alongside, to console, to exhort, to summon. It, this word has a, a broad sense. Probably best interpreted in this passage to strengthen you, to encourage, to strengthen you. How many times have you been encouraged and I've been encouraged just by somebody talking to us? And how well we feel about it. Sometimes we have to be negative, but how many times have people encouraged us? 
and encourage people to go ahead or encourage your children to do something right and something proper. Well, that's what Paul is doing. Uh, he says, I want to encourage you uh, that your hearts might be encouraged. Now, the word heart in the Bible is not talking about that physical organ in your body. However, that's very important. But the point is, it's the core of your being, the core of whole of your being, with the emphasis on the mind and the feeling. Christianity, true Christianity, is not a mindless belief. It is probably the most logical and most sensible beliefs in all the world. It is probably, it is. And the Bible talks about the heart. He says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks within himself, what? Most of us know that. So is he. You're what you think. And the Bible puts a lot of stress on that to take these things into your mind, to take and believe them, because that's what the mind does. You act as the, your mind. You don't act disaccording to your mind. You act at what's really in your mind. And that's how people know it's in your mind, the way you act, the way I act. A, a truth in Scripture is not really yours until you believe it by faith. Then it becomes yours. When you, Well, at the song that... Uh, Thomas sang, for example, uh, even in uh, rough times, when you really believe in the sovereignty of God and you really believe that God is in control, if he's really your God and you really believe that he is taking you through it, that he who have begun a good work and you will complete it, then you could face these things because you're mentally uh, strong in that and it keeps you from fear and work so I want to encourage your heart and the first thing he says he talks about well let me give you another one about the mind 1 John 3.17 for whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need closes his heart against him how can the love of God abide in him you have a selfish heart you're not going to share if you have a hard time sharing with other people or you have a hard time sharing things it's because of the selfishness is it not you've closed your heart first thing he talks about is unity having been knit together in love united you know what links us all together here now, we just took in a couple members. But more than that, that links us that there were members of this church. But what really links us is that you and I are been born again. And salvation is what links us. And we become brothers and sisters in Christ. We are more related to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ than we are our actual bro blood brothers and sisters. Here's good, a, a guy who told me, I won't be there next Sunday. I'm going to a family reunion. So I won't, it's in the western part of the state. I won't be here. 
So Sunday night at church, all at once he shows up. And I said, Jack, I thought you were going to be gone. He said, Rod, I came back. This is the true family reunion. This is the true family reunion. And our hearts are to be knit together in love. The word knit together is a medical uh, term. Knit together like bones and flesh and all of the unity we have in our body. Even if your thumb hurts, it causes, you to, it causes discomfort to the whole body, correct? The body's knit together and that knit together is to be in love. That's the glue that holds the body together. This is extra, you didn't pay for this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. As Paul, and, and reminds us of what love really is and how it operates. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with uh, verse 4. He says, as he describes it, love is patient. Wonder why he starts with that. Love is kind. We understand that. Is not jealous. I don't care if somebody gets a solo and I don't. I don't care if somebody has more talent than me. I don't really care if somebody is richer than me. I'm glad for them. I'm not jealous. Love does and not brag and is not arrogant. Heard that last week. Love is not arrogant and love doesn't brag. We had a case of that in the football season. We had uh, a lot of bragging going on until yesterday. If you want that explained, I'll explain it after church. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Somebody did you wrong? Uh, you're in the hands of God, right? Romans 12, 19 says, he takes revenge. You don't have to take revenge. Let God take the revenge. You got cheated? You got uh, ignored? Don't worry about it. You're in the hands of God. We just sang about it. We have a sovereign God. He'll take care of it. He, he'll take care of all these things. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. We're not happy when somebody walks off into sin. We're not happy about that. We rejoice with the truth. We bear all things. Believe all things. Hope all things. Endures all things. What does that tell you? You're positive. You're not a negative person. Love makes you positive. You love God and you know God and you'll know you'll work it out. You become a positive person. You like to hang around somebody that's always negative? Always talking how bad it is? Always bringing up the garbage? I don't know about you, but I don't care for that. I like to hear people who are positive. And even though evil has been done, they recognize there's a light behind that cloud. So we're to be knit together in love. 
Colossians 3.14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I don't have to agree with everybody in the church, and you don't have to agree with me. But we can be loving toward each other, correct? We can love each other and appreciate each other. The presence of the legalistic heir had caused a schism within the church. Believers were fragmented as to their evaluation. How do we treat this heir? Unity is quickly lost when people give sympathetic ear to non-biblical teaching. Causes schisms. Sometimes people think it's conservative people that cause the division. A person is really standing with the word of God and standing strong, and they say he's causing a division here. No, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's that person who has listened eagerly or been persuaded gently for error. And they, they are the ones who are the causing the division. The second assurance, uh, or the second thing Paul brings out in this lesson is the, uh, the fact that of assurance, attaining to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding. You have to have assurance. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings. Is that what it says? What does it say? Every spiritual blessing. Does that mean some are left out? How rich are you and I in Christ Jesus? How rich is the wealth of our salvation? How, that wealth is immeasurable that comes from full assurance of salvation. The more one reads and is taught from the Word of God, the more certainty and assurance they gain. When one is persuaded by faith of things that they have received, the more steadfast and immovable they become. Heard this verse? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in the vain, is not in vain in the Lord. No matter when it looks like a dry time in your life, you don't know the emphasis and the blessings that God is using you. You don't know. My word goeth forth and bears fruit. If believers are uncertain about basic truths of the faith, they're vulnerable to deceptive heresies. That's why we spend time at Countryside Bible Church. You know why we spend time in the Bible studies? It's not just that we like to have Bible studies at 6.30 in the morning or whenever we have them, or at night for men and women, or meet on Wednesday nights to have Bible studies. It's just not like we just want to pour this out. What we really want to do is ground you and me in the faith. And I can't tell you from the Bible studies I've had over the years how much I have learned when guys have asked questions 
and I have not a clue or brought up something I didn't think about and it's caused me to go to the Word of God and dig in. And hopefully them and you in a setting like this that all once you say, I need to learn this. I need to learn the Word of God. Spiritual prosperity consists in understanding God's truth and being assured of it. Having an immovable conviction of God's truth. This is what the saints of old had. For example, take a look at Romans 421. It'll be on the board talking about Abraham. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You know what he's talking about here? Abraham was 99 years old. His wife was 89 years old. She was past the window of bearing children. Abraham was impotent. Only they could have kids. God said, you're going to have a child this year, next year at this time. Abraham, you know, it hit Sarah, Sarah so bad she laughed. But it says to us in the New Testament that Abraham was fully assured what God had promised he was able to perform. See where that assurance comes? Took him 89 years to get there. But he got there. Took him 99 years. He got there and he believed it. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. For the same reason I also suffer these things. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted him until that day. How can people go to prison? How can people be burned at the stake? How can people face a machine gun and stay firm and stay rigid because they're fully convinced that God is able to perform what he said he'd perform. If you're faced in front of a firing squad, deny Christ or not, where are you on that? Where are you when somebody just challenges you about your faith? Oh, I don't believe that junk. Or you're off. How do you handle it? Can you stand up and confidently say I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to take care of that which I've committed to him so assurance is there and in uh, we, the next encouragement he gives to the church is resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery that is in Christ himself the knowledge of Christ. Now he talks about this mystery in the New Testament. The mystery is this. That in the Old Testament it was Jewish. You and I as Gentiles would never be allowed to get on the temple grounds. We'd have to stand behind the wall. Which says beyond this point no Gentile can go. We were in but we were kind of like a spare tire. 
Now, since Christ came, since he was raised from the dead, since he was uh, uh, ascended, the Holy Spirit came down, and all of us, Jew and Gentile, have exactly the same standing before God as, as all. You know what that means? That means I am in the body of Christ. That means I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And Christ lives in me. It means I have access to God the Father in prayer. Through the name of Christ. It means this, that Christ shares everything with us as friends. What do you know? How much do we know? He says in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, That is a mystery which has been hidden from the ages, past ages, and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 5.30, because we are members of his body. Ephesians 5.32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reverence to Christ in the church. And the Greek word is, you'll have a true knowledge, is the word epigenosis, means you have full knowledge or access to it. If you know Christ, the blinds are lifted. You want to know what's going on in this world? The more you know of Christ, the more you understand what's going on. The more wisdom you have. You can be a scientist and, and trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And you may know a lot of everything, about everything. But when you trust Christ, it all has a different slant. God is in this thing. God is the creator. You can be a... In the medical world. And suddenly you, you see Christ. You see the magnificence. How we were created in the image of God. And how unique even the human body is. And if you're a teacher. You suddenly are alert when you know Jesus Christ. That the stuff you are teaching takes on a new value and a new purpose. If you're a farmer, you just suddenly see how God, in all the crops, the rain withheld, the rain coming, you see God in all of this. And the more you know of God and Christ, the more appreciative you become. Same way with mothers and fathers. When they know Christ, the whole vision opens up. You realize you're rearing children with an old sin nature. They weren't born true believers. They're born with your nature. They're born with my nature. They're sinful, and they have to be corrected. That's why God gave them the so tiny for the first few years of your life. You can really mold them at that time. And nurture them in the faith. So that by the time they become teenager, by the time they come college age, they have been impressed with your walk with Christ. With your discipline. With your instruction. Why does the Bible say, train up a child in the way he shall go? 
and he'll not depart from it. You know what the word train means in that verse? Put a bit in their mouth. Steer them. Uh, my father was kind of wise in that area. He steered me, and that was good he did. I had some foolish ideas, believe it or not. But you know, he did it in a very interesting way. He said, when you become a pastor, he never told me I should go into pastor. But he gave me direction for life. Fathers and mothers, give your children a sense of direction. How many 18, 19, 20-year-olds I talk to, I don't know what I'm going to do. How about, the, how about the shoe cobbler that went out and said, see that sign, Jones, shoe cobbler. I want you to see it, Jones and Son. What did he do? He gave direction. Give a direction that God will lead them. Now, maybe you don't have anything in mind, but you want them to follow God, don't you? I do. I want my children to become better Christians than I am. That's what I want. And when I saw my son preaching last Sunday, our son, I was thankful. I wasn't bragging, I'm just thankful. That all the years that Faith and I gave direction, and, and I remember laying asleep at night and saying, God, what am I going to do with this child? Like Faith says, we have a rich story for everybody. And then he talks to us, make full knowledge of Christ. Seek his wisdom in verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Colossians 1, just up a chapter. Christ is the invisible, or is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created, both in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Knowledge is the apprehension of all truths. Wisdom is the understanding of the relationship among the truths. But here's the point. Christ knows everything. He knows everything. The more you know of him, the more insight you gain into life itself and into the universe and into the nations of the world. He opens the door to light. The more you know of Christ, the more you know of your situation, the more you know of the world, the more you know of the future. I tell you, it's exciting. God isn't up there with a little bunch of knowledge and I, I just want to hide this from people. I want them to know I am, I am much more bright than they are. No, he says, I want you to know it. I want you to know everything I know. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. And God is going to reveal to us everything. 
And I'm going to meet you on this corner of gold and silver. And I'm going to say, can you believe what I just learned? And you're going to say, no! Isn't this great? Don't you like it when you find out something new and learn something new? I do. I love to learn something new and see something new. I'm curious. I want to know it. Don't you? I hope so. What sort of teachers in Colossae were insisting that they had a monopoly in religious truth? Were they suggesting faith in Christ alone for salvation was not enough? Were they saying one does not act to have, one does not, were they saying saving doesn't include repentance for salvation? Were they teaching one has to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit after salvation accompanied by teaching by tongue speaking? Did they teach that mosaic regulations must be observed? What was it? A healthy church could figure that out. A healthy church is growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord knows it. May that be your desire as a member of the body of Christ, the member of the true church, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let us stand for prayer. Father, I don't know the hearts of every person, only you. I don't know where they stand in relationship to your son. But I know, Lord, that it's very important that they make that decision to put their faith and trust in you. To come to the realization they are sinners and they are lost. And they need to repent and put their faith and trust in you. So someone is here without Jesus Christ. May you use your word, Lord, to teach him, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So maybe this morning someone comes to faith in Christ. And I pray for those, Lord, that have been rather nonchalant about their faith in Christ. Come easy, come go. I pray that they would come become serious and I pray this morning they would make a commitment to do that. And I pray for those, Father, who love you and want to grow and are growing. Encourage them this morning to continue. Give them strength and to carry on and to realize your sovereignty and how you care and love for them. So, Father, I pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the church and us. Thank you for that great gift. Thank you for the price you paid. In Jesus' name, amen.